talking about Ethereum and going off on this, but there's a bunch of other stuff that we also could cover. I mean, I sent you guys an article today. What was that article? It was nuts. Um, or I read the article about the stealth addresses and we could cover that. Oh, doodles. We could talk about that later. Doodles buying the brand mark for Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty. That's another level. Who like owned it before doodles bought it. Huh? They own themselves. I, no, that's not true. Uh, it actually says in the article and we could, we could cover that, but I say we actually show Allison some love. Allison, if you're out there, you, uh, we just, you gave us the best compliment last, uh, last week. And we wanted to show you love and ask you, what did you want to hear about? And the guys and I have been chatting. We've been talking about your questions. So for those who are piping in right about now, Allison asked a question and I wish I could pull it up, but she asked, I want to hear about your opinions on whether or not Ethereum will flip Bitcoin. And you're in a good audience here because you got some level-headed people, you got some maxes, and you got some people that don't care so long as they make money. And uh, <laughs> it represents all of us. So we're going to first and foremost actually address this question by Allison. So guys, how do you begin to answer the question, will Ethereum ever flip Bitcoin? I feel like I'm throwing a piece of raw meat in like, in like a dog fighting cage. <laughs> Yeah, just but knowing it's where like, Jared stands. Who's in the cage? Is it pit bulls or is it like little like chihuahuas? You know? Yeah. How do you begin um, to answer that, Jared? Yeah. So this is a this is like this is a classic question on for Ethereum people and maxis, I guess Bitcoin maxis. But it's like, okay, I first want to start by saying that this is only really a conversation on Ethereum. Like, I don't really think maxis pay attention to this too much. Um, Bitcoin. They're like, yeah, they're like long-term case stuff, like their long-term use cases very much. Oh, hey, Allison. Yeah, this is totally for you. Um, This is for long, you. Yeah, this is literally for you. Their long-term use case is very much like they're Usain Bolt in a race. And maybe he's not even a good example because he got so good he could actually like look around in a sprint. But if Bitcoin is just going to continue on. Like it doesn't care about anything else right ethereum's the one with the ceo ethereum's the one with the foundation ethereum is the one with uh kind of a character tied to it and so i just wanted to kind of lay out that context this is totally my opinion i, I this is just what i see on twitter this is what i see like out in the blogosphere right where bitcoiners are like cool flip us whatever long term we know what we're gonna be ethereum is you know more centralized than you guys think ethereum is proof of stake which is weak on security compared to bitcoin all of these things so i want to just say that first and then a lot of times what I've heard, and this kind of makes sense, is that Bitcoin is kind of like the gold in the sense that it will be the store of value. I think yeah. it's much better than gold. And then Ethereum is kind of like the oil, right? If we're thinking about commodities that we currently have, just to like draw it to TradFi. Yeah. And in that world, obviously, the oil is way more valuable than the gold because the gold can only do so much, whereas our lives literally run on oil. Whatever you are using to listen to this was made with petroleum, right? It's a petroleum-based product because it, it yeah it's got plastic in it probably on some yeah. level so then you say okay and this is what mark cuban has famously said this is why he's very much into ethereum he obviously owns bitcoin too but he says ethereum is has a use case Raul paul says the same thing uh the investment banker of like 30 years with the biggest investment banks he's like it has a use case you can actually use it to do things whereas yeah. bitcoin you just kind of hold 
And long-term, it may save your purchasing power. So I wanted to start by saying that, maybe throw the mic, kind of build a base, and then we can come back and I can share my opinions on whether when this will happen, if it happens, does it matter? Um, will it happen next run? What will it take? Um, but what, do, what are y'all's thoughts on that like framing of maybe it's the oil, Ethereum's the oil to Bitcoin's kind of gold if we're looking just at store of value. Now, for any maxis out there, don't get triggered. I'm highly aware that I think Bitcoin is a much better store of value than gold. And I can go into that if you want to go down that rabbit hole. I love that Jay's smiling because Jay's triggered. Um, and then what do you guys think about <laughs> Lambos? That's Jay's storehouse of value. Yeah, yeah, toy Lambos. Um, so <laughs> what do you guys think about that? I like how when Jay has that smirk, he's just getting ready. He's like cocking back a punch, you know? He's like swiveling his hips. Look at him. Look at him. Looks like he... Looks like I he did something wrong and he knows it. Hundred percent with, with everything that you're saying. I, I would oh change gosh, it a little agree. bit. I'd say Bitcoin is is gold and Ethereum is the petrodollar. So not just oil, but the actual the monetary driven dollar. Mm. 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 Okay, and so that's a minor distinction. But why are you making? I, I think. You know, we, we were talking about this offline. I think a lot of it is linked to the way that I see Vitalik now. So oh, not yeah, you just, were saying this. I want to hear this. Yeah, not, not just like the tech founder, like the stereotypical tech founder who's going to come up with really great inventions, but someone who's taking the step to now begin to understand the business and the market and have, uh, you know, philosophy and be forward thinking for where they're trying to take their company. And so one of the things that he wrote about this weekend was the whole thing around um, having stealth addresses on, on Ethereum. So yeah, that I read that people, article. Yeah, so that people can trade in, in, in privacy because right now, whatever, whatever trade you make is essentially like open to the world. They can at least see who you send your money to and how much you sent and, and when and stuff like that. And Vitalik sort of gave this the introduction to the idea of being able to hide some of that information. And I think from the moment you're able to do that legitimately, like not in like a sketchy um, tornado cash type of way, from the moment you're able to legitimately create some privacy for yourself on, on the blockchain, then it becomes cash. What was the term he used in the article? Phantom so, addresses or something like that? Is it stealth addresses? What stealth, you stealth, sorry, you're correct. Stealth, yeah. stealth addresses, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I think... Um, I think the comparison to gold and oil is is insane um, in general because it's it's such a worn out metaphor. I don't know what it means anymore. When sure. we say when we say storehouse of value, um, say, for example, Bitcoin versus gold. Um, that's insane for for volatility reasons um, right now, right now. Now, maybe 50 years from now there will be some leveling off of the volatility as it starts to hit the 100,000, the million dollar mark, as maybe there's some currency-based adoptions. I could see that these volatilities kind of level off, but a storehouse of value, um, volatility is the antithesis to a store of value. Store of value is a predictable future. And though we do talk about predictable supply, you, you cannot talk about a predictable future unless you talk about predictable demand. In my opinion, in my opinion, and I know Maxis could wrestle that to the ground, but it, for how I say, is this of like if I had kids or my nieces and nephews, as I'm putting money away from them and I go, 
what is the demand for this thing? Because demand actually drives the future value of something, not supply. Supply affects, but it doesn't drive it, in my opinion. And so I know the argument about limited supply is the thing, but this is where I would then argue against myself. Bitcoin has continuously stood as a currency and all other cryptos are playing like multiple hats. Like, who am I in front of? I'm in people who are into trading and the currency. I'm in front of people who are into tech. I'm an app, uh, you know, and it's like, that's cute because that is what the tech is, but that's a hard sell. And Bitcoin has always been a very clear sell in that we are a currency and that's what we're made to be. Now, I'm gonna pepper this for a second with a conversation I had with Krez yesterday. Krezenda, who works for Bitcoin Association, and I finally got her on the phone. Go look her up. She's a phenomenal community builder. She's out of the Philippines, but she's been hired as um, the social media manager for Bitcoin Association. She is a phenomenal networker. Go find her. She's phenomenal. And she's sharp as a tack from the tech. She could answer tech questions about BSV, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. And I finally grilled her and I said, what is this mess? She said it like this. She said, get involved in the community. You can post about anything except currencies. We will reject all posts about crypto as currencies. I said, now that's interesting. And she said, I, I want to emphasize that grant to emphasize that BSV is focused on tech stack, not currencies. We do have tech stack within Bitcoin and the Lightning Network and other technologies they're working with, but they're focused on governments. For example, I didn't know this, uh, the island nation of Tuvalu, Tuvalu, am I saying that right? The, who is, they're having to evacuate their islands because of climate change. They're backing up all of their government documents on BSV. And they're running their citizenship on BSV because, and I see your face, Jay, wait, Bitcoin is, Bitcoin's a currency. Like, how do you work? No, BSV is what they claim. They claim, I don't claim, they claim. It's closer to Satoshi Vision. This is what Craig, Dr. Craig Wright aligns himself with. This is like Craig Wright's project. And, and Mr. Satoshi, uh, allegedly, right? And they're focused on, can we create government solutions with Bitcoin's original vision? If you read the white paper, it never mentions digital currencies or, or digital cash. It has a very, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. So my point though is, is let's contrast what Krez is saying about BSV to BTC, Bitcoin. But if Bitcoin remains focused on being a currency, I think that use case is clear enough and simple enough that it will become crypto gold. Ethereum as oil is the thing that always throws me off. I think Ethereum as a highway to everything else as backbone technology is a, is a better metaphor for me. It's the, it's the, it's us finally installing the, in, you know, the, the U S highway system or the Canadian highway system that's starting to connect multiple cities as a unified understood set of rules and frameworks, basically the underlying coding system. I think then Ethereum might have a shot. Jay, I'm going to turn it over to you. Any feedback on any point or either of you, any point, any feedback or pushback on any of it? Go. You went mute, bro. I'm, I'm Jay, muted. My bad. <laughs> no, no, no real, uh, no real pushback on it from my side. I, I didn't think 
of BSV in that way. I, I, I guess maybe I'm not like tuned into it uh, a ton, but actually what you said just now about the, the white papers has given me incentive to go back and read it again because I don't remember that it not mentioning the word currency in, in the white paper. And I couldn't. So I, I have not fact checked it. That's what they claim. And I do want to fact check it because I just assumed that it did. Right. Yeah. No, Jared's reading it now. Jared's like, wait, I've got this on my desktop. It's like, <laughs> it's all, it's, 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 it's uh, embroidered on my pillow. Let me read it real quick. So if you, oh my God, I love you too. <laughs> if you go to more than blockchain.xyz, I have the two white papers of the biggest cryptocurrencies, which are uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin. And one of the first things it says is, is cash. So I, I'm not exactly Like you, sure. you like control F, you search the PDF. And no, it just it? says cash at the top. It what says does it say? a purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. I'm interested to see if it says the word currency because if maybe we're going to talk. she said. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe the word currency because the thing is I don't see Bitcoin as a currency. Um, you don't? I think that, no. I think that that's, was it, that's what yeah. maybe the original intent is. One time. What's up? The word currency only shows up once in the way. Yeah, so it does show up. I, I okay. so so BSVers and I need to dive down their rabbit hole deeper. And Joe DePinta, who came on more than blockchain, he talked about BSV. And the thing that I'm most attracted about BSV, and Grant, you texted this last night, is their gig size and block is ridiculous. So you can ridiculous. pump information into it. And it can handle crazy scale. And the other thing is that it has really, really, really low transaction fees. Yeah. Um, which I think in a world of uh, micropayments is going to be really important, right? Yeah. Even I've got an Lightning answer Network. for Tristan here from my homework, so we'll get to that. Or if you guys know, but the ZP, the ZPK, ZKP answer to this is nuts. We'll talk about that in a second. Keep going. Yeah, Tristan, we're, 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 we're tabling that. But so one thing I would say is that I don't see Bitcoin as a currency because I'm not using it to like trade at all. I just buy it and hold it. And there's no other currency on the planet as far as our definition of currency, um, or maybe my definition of currency. Maybe we should define currency, honestly, maybe before we go forward, just as a working definition, because there's no other currency I'm holding. Like, let me show you, let me show you in my little drawer here. It's up there on the back. I don't know if you can hear me now. I moved away from the mic. Somewhere in here, I have Colombian pesos, or maybe it's over there. But those have lost 30% since I was last in Colombia. So clearly, I don't want to hold those. And even my dollars have lost uh, some of their purchasing power because of inflation. And now I need more of these dollars to go buy my food basket, right? So I don't know. I, I, I Definition think of currency. Let's not rewrite these things. Definition of currency. Yes, go ahead. A system of money and general use. The fact okay. or quality of being generally accepted or in use. So by that definition, and, and by that definition, money is first and foremost, a medium of exchange. And yeah, it's also sure. a storehouse of value, but it's not exclusively a storehouse of value. You have to be a medium of exchange to be considered money. And, and Jar Jared, I would, I would think that a maxi would assume for us to get to a million dollar Bitcoin and then start using smaller denominations known as Satoshis, for us to get there, that level of adoption has to assume it's become a, a fairly accepted form of currency, right? I, I don't think so at all. I no. think the future is the the hybrid Bitcoin is a hybrid. What is it? The hybrid hyper Bitcoinization model. And if you can say that three times fast, it's impressive, Allison. <laughs> Sorry, you have to hear these. 
<laughs> these people from the colonies with their weird accents say that, but the hybrid hybrid Bitcoinization model, okay. um, which essentially is the idea that everything's going to get sucked up into essentially dollars and Bitcoin eventually, um, where people use Bitcoin as their savings and people use dollars, probably USDC. And we can talk about that. It looks like CBDC. Tristan's onto this. That's what we're going to use to exchange and everything else is just going to be in Bitcoin. And yeah. That's how the world would kind of be. Now, I expand that a little bit more because I don't think the dollar is always going to be there. I think you're going to have the yuan. I think it's going to be the Chinese yuan, the dollar, and the euro. And I do think over the next 50 to 60 years, all of the currencies are basically just going to fold into those. Uh, many of the All the currencies in Latin America will essentially fold up into the dollar. So just um, the pound just gone? No. Well, sorry, the, the British pound and then what, Switzerland, the, whatever that is. Like there will be some so, some of these ones that I do think will stick around, but the main players will be the euro, uh, the yuan, uh, and the dollar. The British pound, I, I actually will be, I believe. Until we're interplanetary, and then I think we'll actually start considering. I, I mean it. Like I think that once we're interplanetary, we'll go through a period of what we consider like like Earthlings or like we won't be as divided country wise for a period of time. For sure, um, for sure. But that's exactly. too far down the road to care. That, yeah, yeah. We're down the road, but. Point being that I don't see Bitcoin as a currency. I don't think many maxi see it as a currency, even if that was the original, like the way I understood, and I think Joe DePinto explained this on the podcast. And I, now I need to go back and listen because BSV is fascinating. He sent me a bunch of information. I scratched the surface, but I want to learn more because I think that BSV is a huge real world use case, which yeah. is what we all really want to see in the space. So the so for me though, and for many maxis, it's like, or the way I understood was Bitcoin happened and then you basically couldn't transact it because it became too expensive. Mm -hmm. um, you don't think the BRICS nation's currency will hold a spot? No, I don't. Um, no, Russia's going to no. get- what? Uh, which BRICS nation? Well, he's saying China, so the yuan. Yeah, right? China. I'm saying, I'm saying the yuan. Uh, South Africa? No. Why China. Is this, oh yeah, it is South Africa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, India and China are the only possible- India and China, okay, maybe India, but the rupee is just going to inflate so much against all these other ones. If we go to the, the hybrid, I don't see how that works, you know? Um, and the but, Anglo, the Anglophile nature of a lot of Indians too, like I, I, it's, it's funny, like a lot of my Indian friends, they are very Indian. They're proud of being India. But if you watch their culture growth, they're watching all American television. There's this Anglophilia that goes on. Like, I'm very interested in what America or what Anglos are doing. Um, and so I, I, I have to assume that like, if we're actually going to start using Satoshi's or USDC's and especially with as much as they depend on the West, the political West or the political North's economy, they're just going to start using those currencies. I feel like, uh, myself, go ahead. Yeah. But so, so anyways, I, I think we, we should have a whole episode too, where we talk about how Bitcoin came forked into Bitcoin cash and then that forked into Satoshi vision. Because what I understand, Satoshi Vision with Craig Wright, the whole idea was like, hey, Bitcoin dropped the ball on being a currency. It dropped the ball on being something we can transact and use easily. So if we can't use it easily and everyone can't use it, how can we possibly build, as you're saying, an island nation that's going to get crushed by climate change, build it in where we can use that to use it almost kind of like an Ethereum with smart contracts or you know a way to basically put files on the blockchain. Yeah, That's my understanding. So I push back a little bit. I don't, I, if someone asked me, is Bitcoin a currency? I'm like, hell no, I can't use it. None of my friends would want my Bitcoin. Literally, they but, would not want my Bitcoin. But of all the crypto ATMs, though it's relatively small, they're, sure. they're, they're only Bitcoin ATMs. And to your point, if it is even just a savings account, 
It has to be relative to other cryptos. It has to have some currency component that is going on with semi-general use, which would meet the definition, I think. If, if, if hyper-Bitcoinization happens, like you're saying, like on date, like reality in the boots on the ground, hey, how does this move into my savings? Well, I moved from this wallet to this wallet. Someone paid me in this. Well, no, they paid me in USDC here, but then they paid me in, in Bitcoin here. There has to be some velocity happening with it to make it even viable for that. I would assume. I would assume. Jay, you have a thought on the tip of your tongue. We probably motivated. Wait, wait, wait. Can, oh, can, I, can I inject yes. one more thing on the oil? Yeah. I disagree with your idea that it is the highway system because the highway system is a static thing. Um, it will change every once in a while, but like you put up a bridge and it sits there for 60 years until it rusts out. I think the highway is the internet. That was already built. That's not moving. But the thing that's dynamic that moves across it is the cars and the gasoline. And the gasoline is really the, the thing that moves itself. it. Maybe, yeah, maybe exactly. the rules of the highway or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. So that's what, that, that's kind of where I think that's where I always kind of like the idea of Ethereum being the gasoline because the smart contracts on Ethereum and your ability to do that allow the thing to move with just essentially just super simple if then statements, right? Okay. If he pays me this or, or if that goes higher, then I sell, you know, like it's a really simple metric. So that's yeah. where I wanted to say, I think it's not, okay. a, I don't see Bitcoin as a currency. And I would also push back and say that I think Ethereum is a lot more dynamic than just being a, a, the, the base layer. Because the base layer is really the internet. And then on top of that, we're able to build uh, with Ethereum and then put in smart contracts. And so that's what I want to say. Jay, throwing the mic to you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I had a couple of points along the way. I've sort of forgotten those because I've just been listening to what you were saying. But I, 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 I like the, the very last thing that, that you said about Ethereum not just being a base layer of it evolving into other things because i think that's necessary for it right like could you imagine if google was just a search you know or if if facebook yeah. were just a place where you, you put pictures you know yeah. like like those companies would not have grown uh it, ethereum definitely has to go beyond just being has the to. blockchain where everyone builds their apps it, it yeah. has to be a lot more creative and I think one of the things that's really cool about this space in general is that people tend to lean towards creativity. Lots of times we end up getting scammed as a result, you know, <laughs> losing a lot of money. But yeah. we, we, we tend towards creativity and, and then that's what's allowed for the industry to flourish. Yeah. And, and to that point, I like I was very concerned about Ethereum actually being the static road that Jared is talking about until the merge. The merge was so smooth and successful that it was acting like the highway, but it, this is the dynamism, the internet. Like if you think about the, our metaphors, we're talking about the fluidity and the moldability, the changeability of our, uh, the thing we're, we're using as a metaphor. And you're right. The internet is probably the road that all this was built on in part because of what it would take to change the internet really would be a massive, unprecedented change and so we're building on top of kind of a kind of an older technology if you think about it now we've got ethereum coming along and say for example ethereum relative to polygon or ethereum relative to um uh to i guess bsv even these things are changing relatively quickly but that also means they're not established yet and here's ethereum that's balanced this act of being fairly established but also if if the merge did not happen a and B happens smoothly, 
it would be in threat of being too static in this space. But, uh, and, and I think we said before we got on the call, we were talking about how Polygon, um, it, for the longest time, and still, I believe, Polygon threatens to take a lot of developer uh, brain drain and talent away from Ethereum because they are not only a layer two, and, and we could talk about the technology under that hood, but they're also layer zero. They are their own blockchain. And they've been taking a lot of talent. They've been doing really good partnerships. I think Starbucks was released on Matic or Polygon. Am I correct about that? And, and a bunch of other programs launched on Polygon's own blockchain, not as a secondary blockchain, as a layer two. That's important. These contracts are happening on its own layer zero. And so when you see those sorts of shifts or all these developers that left or bridged from Solana to Polygon, it's like, wait, we can't ignore this. But to your point, Jay, if, if Vitalik can continue to mature as a CEO and, and then actually leverage this road, it's like a programmable road. Imagine if you could go, I need a new exit over here. And instead of having to pull out dump trucks and asphalt and earth movers, you started changing code and like the matrix, a new road appears, then Ethereum would be the road, but it's a programmable road, right? And, and, and that would work. But I think you're right about oil right now, based on how you reframe me. I'll take that. But I, I think that Ethereum runs the risk if they're not careful to like surge ahead and then fall behind. And then, so, and I'm not talking about market cap. I'm talking about um, uh, market position, I guess, in people's minds. Um, um, let's, uh, unless you have feedback on that, I'd like to maybe try to tackle something that Tristan's talking about here. Yeah. Before, before we move into please. the, uh, into the kind of the CBDC and how that builds into this, maybe we should all, I'm, I'm just want to say to answer Allison's question, kind of like directly. Sure. Yeah. I think the flipping may happen, but yeah. I think it will be something that is kind of a momentary thing. I as someone who's very much into Bitcoin and sees that as something that's powerful, I think long-term Bitcoin is going to, as far as market cap goes, right? Because uh, that's what the flipping is all about, right? Big bank take little bank. Like who has a bigger bank, right? Yeah. Um, I think that may happen maybe in the next run, depending upon what shiny object happens. In 2017, the shiny object was ICOs, right? Where everyone just dropped coins. 2021, uh, in that bull run, it was NFTs. And so that really yeah. helped out Ethereum a lot. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I was reading, maybe it was yesterday or today, was like half of the gas fees recently were all just on Board Ape Yacht Club um, for all NFTs. Yeah. So like, yeah. if NFTs don't exist overnight and people just get into DAOs and DAPs, I think it's a much slower thing because I don't think DAOs and DAPs are as tied to so much speculation and then money into the market. So I think it may flip, but I don't think long-term it matters because if Bitcoin does what Maxis believe it to be, what maybe happens in its narrative, then it will be an ephemeral thing and it will move on. But it will be when that happens, it could happen in 2025 in the next bull run. Um, it will be a monumental moment because yeah. it will be really cool because basically Bitcoin is the first out. So it got first to market and it's kind of up until now been infallible. Whereas yeah. Ethereum has been on this rocky road and it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare. So yeah. if it happens, I think it will be ephemeral. I think people will celebrate it. It will be something to look at. But long term, I, I, I would expect Bitcoin to really uh, overpower it. Uh, but what do, you, what, what, do you, what do you guys think? I was going to say, Jay, what is your, what is your kind of uh, parting thought on the flippening? If, when, how, and do we care? Hmm. 
do we care might be the most important question. Uh, it's tough to say when, right? Because we were all thinking like, ah, oh, yeah, 2023 is going to be a shit year. And, and now it looks like we're back. Uh, so it's, it's tough to like to gauge that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it will be important. I think it, it'll, it'll be something that sort of, um, sets the tone for the market, right? It'll mean that we've as, as a market have become more mature where it's not just based on the speculation of Bitcoin. It's also, we also now taking into consideration the, um, traditional metrics of finance and applying that, I think, in the direction of, of Ethereum. I think like that's what Ethereum is going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what, maybe that's why we're seeing sort of like this pump and people coming back to, to crypto. It's because Ethereum, now that it's um, proof of stake um, and they're, they're making all of these moves towards creating an ecosystem that that it's more easy for people to, to build on it and is more familiar with with tr- traditional finance yeah that the, these financial organizations are like oh, okay ethereum looks like something much more familiar to us than than it was before and so they're gonna make that shift towards ethereum that that could happen but i think whatever yeah. happens or whenever it happens it's going to be a massive psychological shift for the entire industry and I think you get at a great point and I'll wrap my thoughts up here for Allison. And then Leslie's got a fantastic question, but I do want to honor Tristan's question and, and we'll look at Leslie's questions. Phenomenal question, Leslie, stick around for that real quick. Um, you mentioned psychology. My first reaction to Allison's question or, or anyone's question like this is, okay, I hear the question and from a kind place, so what, what does this mean to us if that happens? And my first thought is, well, it's, it's not a big deal. If, if developers are passionate and working, they're, they're passionate and working. And for Ethereum, whether the market cap right now, it's I think at like 198, 199, something like that, whether it's at that or whether it catches up to Bitcoin and they're neck and neck at 49, 490 or wherever they're at. Let's say it does that. So what? Uh, it's just market cap. Dev's going to dev, right? Like that's how it is. Except you do talk about the psychology of setting the tone. Super important. But what is the psychology and what sets the tone? And my estimate, incentive. If someone is deving, and if, if, if a crypto that has a strong code base, a strong developer base, and a halfway decent, and Ethereum has a halfway decent adoption rate on the front end users, they're used to Ethereum wallets and Ethereum transactions and Ethereum apps, but there's also a radical run on the currency, the incentives to dev there is like, well, if if Google App Store was incentivizing its app developers 10x, 9x, 100x, what and Apple was incentivizing its developers, you're going to suddenly see a, a ton more apps. So I, my, I'm going to push back on myself and go, well, so what is there's massive new incentive on the market. And if they can do that, they can take the mind share. So I think it does matter. But I, I don't know if it has direct impacts on their roles in the future of Web3. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allison says, thank you guys. Really value the conversation. More questions from the land of the pound and funny accents in the future. Keep them coming, Allison. You're one of our favorite people out there. We love having you on the show. Um, can I, I give like I, a I two- just want to make a point. I want to make a Please. point. Allison, we have the funny accents, right? Y'all created the language. So we're always going to be. Yeah, it's the, English uh, or is it? 
Jell, what are we talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are we talking yeah. about? Well, we talk, and we got the New Yorker, the Southerner, and the Islander, and we're all, you know, <laughs> like, like <laughs> so we're, we're the ones with the funny accents. Real quick, Tristan, I want to honor this, and then I think we got some real interesting stuff uh, in queue here. Uh, Tristan asks, how does the vision of BSV pave the way for a hybrid answer uh, of both through to CBDCs designed to be utilized by large governments and still using a, the alleged use of currency? Now, um, I want to make sure I got all that. Do you guys have any framework for what he's talking about? Because this is fresh on my mind from my conversation with Krez. We talked about this, but what thoughts do you initially have? If any. I'm not sure designed to be utilized by large governments is still using the alleged use of so currency. The, yeah, the, the, I'm, the, I'm, I'm not I sure I understand the question. It's, it's like coming at it from a from like a tech perspective, like what is it about BSV that would allow, you, allow for it to be used as technology that governments can like used to save data and documents and, and preserve themselves long term, like, like a Tuvalu example, and yeah. also be able to be to use it as as a store of value for for currency and monetary purposes. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe I feel like maybe I don't know enough about BSV. Well, let question. me present Grant, the yeah. the dilemma that Krez posed and she answered, but I'll just pose the dilemma at first. She she revealed to me, and I didn't. I've never thought about this uh, in a world of zero knowledge proof. And just for those who don't know and are not used to the phrase, it's a very you know goofy phrase, but it's a cryptographic scheme where the prover is able to convince the verifier. Basically, if I go to a coffee shop. The coffee shop can convince the bank that the statement is true. The customer wants to give me money without revealing who the customer is. Right now, Visa and MasterCard knows when Jay or Jared or I buy coffee at the local, at the local Starbucks. They know who that is. They know what happened. Zero knowledge proof is like the bragging rights of most crypto platforms that were trying to make a world where the three of us could buy coffee the coffee shop has a smooth transaction with the bank, but no one knows whether it was Jay, Jared, or myself. In fact, it's not even the bank, it's the blockchain. We're getting around the bank, right? We don't want the coffee shop to even know who it is. Like, no, like that was the big brag rights. And that's zero knowledge proof in layman's terms. There's a lot that goes on under the hood. That was the dilemma. How do you have a, a BSV that is creating a CBDC, which by definition, a CBDC is the antithesis of zero knowledge proof. Governments want to know who this is. They want to know who is spending this money. But then, so you're using it as a currency, but you also need to build tech stacks that need to answer zero knowledge proof. And for something to be a currency, it's gotta be able to encounter people all over the globe, AKA other blockchains. And a major limitation on blockchains, many of them, is that their zero knowledge proof does not go multi-chain. Krez posed that problem and she answered, BSV is an all-chain zero knowledge proof. And what this allows is it allows for the government, it, it, there's controls. And I would say Cardano also has this built from the ground up, AKA baked in, but, um, but it allows for the government to get its required data that you own this and who are you, your identity, but it immediately, and I don't know how the stack works, I need to look closer, but for situations where zero knowledge proof is there, it's already built in that, that 
the Z, the, the ZKP is already effective for all other chains. And that blew my mind. She did make that, the claim. That blows my mind as well. I'm going to have to figure out how that works. I, Me too. I she did make the claim that no one else does it. A quick search will show you there are many projects doing multi-chain ZKP projects. Um, but apparently, and, and Dr. Craig writes a smarty pants, right? This guy is, 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 I don't know if he's Satoshi, but he is Mr. Smarty pants. Like he was already very wealthy with his own knowledge. So I wouldn't put it past him. So that is the BSV thing. Tristan, I think that's what BSV is trying to bridge. What do you guys know about ZKP? What do you know about currencies and what are the problems with this? I, I mean, I, I think you, you described it the way that I understand it as well. Okay. Um, but it, it's just about me trying to position the, the tech in a way where it can do that type of poof without mm -hmm. necessarily having to give away the entire ban, like all of the information to, to figure out if a transaction is legitimate or not. Mm -hmm. And that's what you were talking about with stealth addresses. Basically, a very complicated scheme like we're describing, suddenly Vitalik is like, by the way, we could just do stealth addresses. And you're like, that, that's pretty serious. Like when I read your article on the heels of this conversation I had with Krez, I was like, Ethereum just wakes up and publishes this paper and can just tack this on to their app. That's pretty profound, pretty profound. Any thoughts on CBDCs, Tuvalu, government BSV, Jarrett, or you want to tackle this DAF? I want to talk about DAFs in a second, the DAF, but I, I'm... Okay. I don't really under, I still, I'm not sure if I totally understand Tristan's comment. I will say that we should just get Krez on here because yes. she said there was no currency. There's currency. She said there was no cash. There's cash. Um, you know, she said they're the only one doing ZKPs. That's not true. I don't even know if they were the first ones to even propose that type of tech. Sure. So, you know, she also works for them. Like, sure. Uh, there yeah. seems to be okay. some incentive there, you know, like, I, I, think, I, I think she's definitely a believer. I've spoken she's a believer. Oh, she's, years. she's a believer. And as would all of the people that I know would say, I'm a believer about Bitcoin, like, sure. you know, or a believer about crypto in general. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're listening to this and I think Leslie, maybe you're listening to this and Leslie is actually a colleague of mine who I would like to say is crypto curious. And she hopped on today to listen crypto to our, curious. Crypto curious. How do you identify crypto Leslie? Crypto curious. Crypto curious. <laughs> Uh, and she hopped on to ask the DAF question, so we can go into that. But I, I just think it's good for Leslie to hear that, like, mm. and this is something I said multiple times when I was out in uh, Portland this past week talking uh, with people at Mercy Corps about crypto, is that crypto is not a monolith. Um, there's actually yes. more infighting within crypto than there are people hating crypto from the outside. Like, we have our own issues, you know, we have our own uh, kind of uh, tribalism. So. Going right into Leslie's question, uh, would love to hear what you think crypto could line up with DAFs. So DAFs are donor advised funds. And really the biggest, and once again, I'm very new to fundraising. I've been around nonprofit work and international Ooh, development work, but I've been on the ground. Let me jump on it. Oh, oh Jay, you want to jump? Cause, cause... I, I, I want to jump on, on, on the DAF question. I, I've been familiar with DAFs for a good number of years. And uh, it's actually something that's growing in popularity here in Canada. Okay. Okay. So, so, well, so, so who wants to start? I want to hear well, more about this. Let's define it and then let's talk about it. Yeah. Jay, can you define it? And like, this is a word that like, I've only recently been kind of intro introduced to. Um, this is a more high philanthrop the philanthropic uh, situation. 
And one of the things I actually put in the private chat because I couldn't figure out how to put it actually in the thread. And Grant, maybe you can grab from the private and post it. it. Um, it. Is that endowment.org is a really interesting thing because basically DAOs, when they're used for good, can kind of serve as DAFs. Um, it's basically, mm. it's like, they, it's honestly, it's not one-to-one, but it's so close that like we could obviously argue about the nuance. But one of the things that I've learned in my new role as a fundraising manager for a massive multi-million dollar, you know, international NGO here is that the cool thing about DAFs is you can put money into a DAF and you as a rich person can get that tax receipt right then. Yes. And then that money doesn't have to be spent immediately. It can mm-hmm. sit and then you decide upon where it wants to go, which is very similar to a DAO. And so Leslie, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization where basically people come together and they, instead of, this is how it should be in theory. I don't think this is actually how it works, but instead of having like the centralized authority that's going to hold the money or look over this like Mercy Corps would if they had a DAF, you're basically relying on smart contracts that everyone can kind of see and interact with. Um, so you're putting money into a transparent digital place that everyone can kind of access and then agree upon where that money should go. So DAOs are very much DAFs when they're used to do good. So that's definitely a way with crypto. And if you, Grant, thank you so much for dropping that in. Endowment is where you can basically create uh, uh, kind of like a GoFundMe, but you can say, yeah. hey, I want money to go towards this thing. Like Grant, Jay, and I come together. We said, we really want money to go towards St. Kitts because they just had a hurricane. Uh, Jay's from St. Kitts. He's got some people down there. We want to show up for him. We're going to put our crypto community together, Put create an endowment page, essentially, put money in there, and Jay's going to be able to pull it out. The biggest use case we've seen from this website with endowment was when Ukraine, Zelensky basically put out, they created an endowment page. And they said, you can just drop money in our Ethereum address and it will get to people of Ukraine and support us. Um, so interesting. that's Jay, kind of interesting how that observations Jay, and experience please. about DAFs in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so spot on what, what Jared was saying. Uh, my understanding of it is very similar. Uh, it's so the example that I would give is like, let's say you have a nonprofit organization. You can create a DAF. Um, a donor advice fund, and you go out to the donors of your nonprofit and say, hey, we can do something a little bit different with this special fund. When you give us money, we can give you back a tax receipt immediately. So give me a million dollars. We don't have to wait until that million dollars is actually used. I can hand that to you right away. And we don't have to use the money right away. So you get all of the tax benefits without having to use any of the money. And then over time, right. the, between the, the donor and the, the, the nonprofit, you decide how that money is going to be used. Now, in Canada, legally, the nonprofit doesn't have to do that. But if you want to keep getting money from people, you know, you're going to have customer experience, you know, people who are getting their ideas and trying to figure out where exactly they want the money to go and what, what they want, want to do with it. Uh, so a, a lot of donors prefer to do that because let's say like this year you make $100 million more than you thought you were going to make and you don't want to pay the tax on that $100 million. Well, you know, I can just sort of get my tax receipt up front and then figure out what to do with the money afterwards, right? And that, that, that just makes sense. Uh, I, I mean, like isn't that normal to endowments? That's not unique to endowments. Coming together 
with DAFs because when, when you put both together, now you have this opportunity to, to sort of like create this, this like almost like, um, digital environment for, for donations. That's not based on like traditional cash where I'm giving things like, um, like maybe cash, but things like, like real estate and stuff that's, 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 um, highly illiquid and, and sort of takes a long time to, to sort of figure out the, the rules around the, the donations. If you're accepting funds into your DAF from cryptocurrencies and it's immediate, you know, if, if you're in finance, you're familiar with the term T, T plus zero or T plus two, like in crypto it's T plus zero because you get that money right away. Um, it, it just works. It, it allows for the entire ecosystem to just flow a whole lot smoother and for people on both sides of the equation to be a lot more happy with, with the results at the end. What is the advised part? Is that the DAO part you're well, talking about, Jarrett, where the donors have higher in, uh, investment? Uh, or I'm sorry, high, they can have more say about how the money's being invested. What is the advisement part? Yeah, I think it's exactly as it says. Once again, I'm super new to this. So if you're watching this, this is not even where my wheelhouse is within the current organization. Um, but yeah, totally. The donors absolutely uh, advise it. You know, they can obviously say it, it's it, if it's instead of having unrestricted funding, it's more restricted. Um, they're definitely going to come together and decide on where that money goes. And it's not really. really. Yeah. And so it's very similar to a DAO. And when I was at uh, Mercy Corps this past week talking about crypto and talking about yeah. NFT philanthropy and crypto philanthropy, the idea of a DAO came up. And one of my colleagues who's very crypto literate has more NFTs than I've ever seen. He's a huge collector, very Web3 <laughs> literate. He just, he looked at me, he said, don't worry, it's a DAF. And I was like, okay, yep, it's a DAF. And everyone's like, oh, okay. They nodded their heads. So um, that's kind of how that goes. It looks like Jay's having some technical issues. He'll hopefully hop back on. Yeah. But I thought that was a really good question from Leslie. Yeah. Uh, we should have her on it because uh, she's experienced in fundraising, if I'm correct. And I'd she's like very experienced. I don't know about DAFs, but if she is, that would be interesting for sure. Well, she's got to have more experience than any of us. I mean, we got the crypto side and the DAO side, but I'd like to hear <laughs> Leslie says AI. What? AI? The thing is, it's, it's AI DAFs or is that Al DAFs? <laughs> yeah, like like is she saying like all DAFs or like are we literally talking about Chat GPT of DAFs? I'd like to know more about that. I so mean, Leslie, maybe. a formal invite to have you on the show and and school us on some of these fundraising things, some of these DAFs, and then maybe we could learn a thing or two about the, where this bridge is with Jarrett's role, which is crypto philanthropy, because if, if what we're saying is accurate, DAFs and DAOs go together, and this endowment link you gave us, that makes so much more sense. Like, I've got a friend, he does, he buys real estate, he puts renters in it, but he, in, he is what is known as an intentional investor. And in real estate, there's intentional residents and intentional investors. And by that, I mean, if you have a down and out neighborhood and someone who traditionally comes from a higher skill, higher wage background, um, they will become an intentional resident. They'll make sure they buy a house in a rough neighborhood. They commit to bringing that house up in terms of qual uh, property value and equity. And it's a really difficult thing to do because it's a tough neighborhood. But generally, it's like planting a garden in a desert. It usually begins to increase the property values of the immediate properties to the left and right of them. And it tends to 
to become a seed, if you will. Now, intentional investors are, are the same thing. They're, they're usually one step prior to that where they buy a house and they, they do the same thing, but they then put renters in it at a lower than market rate who are maybe getting out of prison or maybe just got out of a tough divorce and they, they might not be able to pay market rate, but then they make sure they ensure that they build community along the way. And if someone misses rent for a month or two, it's far more compassionate. And he came to me and said, Grant, how can I raise more money this year? And I was like, well, sit across from people elbow to elbow and ask for money, bro. Like he's really good at that. He's really good at that. But the deals aren't always there. Like to ask for money, typically the donor says, well, what property is this going into? And I never thought, and this isn't necessarily a crypto thing, but I, I, it never dawned on me to go, well, he should do an endowment. But what would be very cool is if there was something in this DAF DAO hybrid that offers a sense of empowerment to the donor. And then when the deals come around, they can present deals at that time. But meanwhile, their Ethereum, their Bitcoin or whatever holdings they had were growing at market rates. That volatility we were talking about earlier, that works really well for nonprofits because that volatility is probably going to swing up and it's not committed to line item donating. Like this is the antithesis of line item donations, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Jer uh, Jay, are you back with us? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that's a super interesting question. I really appreciate that, man. Did we get everything answered? For Allison, do we think we answered that well? And do you think we answered uh, the DAFs well? I, I think we did. And here, Grant, I want to push back on something you said earlier in the Please. episode. I just, I haven't had a chance to. Uh, <laughs> is that uh, I don't think Bitcoin's as volatile as people think it is. Um, I think day to day it's volatile. But I think if you look every like five years, if you zoom out, um, just when you were talking about as a store of value, yeah, I think it's really good because you were saying, you know, I want to give it to, uh, you know, to my nieces and nephews, for example. Yeah. Right. Well, if you give it to your nieces and nephews, you don't want them to spend it tomorrow or the next day or even five years from now. You probably want them to hold on to it for 10 or 20 years. So when they're at a place in their life and they want to make a big money decision, that's probably a house uh, or maybe it's a vacation or maybe it's just taking a year off and doing a sabbatical. You want to give them that money. Right. So if you're thinking about a long term horizon, I don't think Bitcoin um, is as volatile as you think. Uh, or I as people paint it to be. Maybe as, as, as volatile as people paint it to be. But if I were to do a chart of inception of Bitcoin to today and took the market over the same, I'm willing to bet money that you'd see higher peaks and valleys. Now, what you would see is higher growth in Bitcoin. I agree with that. And over the long, and I think I even said this in that part of the conversation that I do believe over time, for, I do believe it will grow. Um, do I believe it's predictable growth? I'm not sure. But in terms of volatility, the way it's measured is how are the highs and lows measured off the median? And mm. that's all I, like the literal, and maybe it's too TradFi for our dialogue here. It's not as volatile as people paint it to be, but it is more volatile than any other instrument that I know of based on the highs and lows off the median or the, or the moving average, if you will. Yeah, and, so, and, that make, and that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. But even if it's just like, you yeah. know, even if you look at one of the best stocks in the last 10 years, right? You could probably say Amazon or Tesla is in there. It's still crushed both of those as far as how much it's moved. Yeah, so um, growth. Over the 10 yes. years. Yeah, I would right? not so, challenge the growth. Volatility doesn't mean it doesn't have growth potential and a huge right. value. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, and that's a great, okay, that's a great thing because I think, and, and, and so, and so for me, that's why like long-term I'm like, 
if you're going to just not, if you're going to buy something, whether say you're going to buy gold and you're going to buy Bitcoin, you're going to buy a hundred bucks of it and just lock it away and yeah. not touch it for 10 years. I'm dying for the, I'm dying for the conversation and someone to tell me that they're going to buy Bitcoin over that. Well, you know, we need to do I'm right here, buy, right buy gold over that. What's that? We need to do this right here, right now. Mr. Beast did a series of videos where he said 10 years from now, one year from now, what my subscribers will be at. We need to look right now. What is today's show? Today is, is January 24th at 3.30 p.m. We need to look at the price of gold and the price of Bitcoin, and we need to assume $100. Do it, do it, do it and put right. it into the... Uh, I, I am, the comments, hold on. You, you don't actually even have to put in the amount, just put in the price of both, and yep. then we could always, you know, then just multiply times 100. Price of gold, here we go. Price of gold, we're going to do this right now. Okay, and then price of Bitcoin, heck, <laughs> I'm sure people have done this and I'm sure we could paper trade this, back trade it, but forward trade, it's a, a whole different ballgame. And by the way, Bitcoin's over 23,000 right now. It um, is. And, and it already so, did that before. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, um, oh yeah, so you're putting in a restream. So yeah, price of gold, it's, you know, 19.55, 40 cents. Um, Bitcoin is at 23,000. This is going to be fun. I hope we remember to do this because uh, we're going to uh, put it on the calendar, bro. I feel very, <laughs> very confident in how this game's going to play out. And uh, and honestly, I like know Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban was on a podcast the other day with uh, oh, what's that dude's name? Oh, he's a talk show host. He's kind of like cringy, but he was asking the guy he owned gold or they were talking about investing or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the guy was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I own gold. And Mark's like, yeah, but do you really own the gold or do you own a receipt for it? He's like, Oh, I don't know how that works. Who knows how gold works. And Mark was like, no, no, no. Well, you probably don't own it then. Like it's not sitting in a vault in your house. He's like, no, no, no. I don't know. Somebody talked to my accountant. He just did the thing that many people do when they feel uncomfortable about money. They just, lean into their ignorance as a badge rather as yes. like i should maybe learn about this <laughs> yes um and this super famous you can go find this out but mark basically said you know you're an idiot if you own gold <laughs> he said that straight out right and then he said you should own bitcoin mark you interesting how old is this yeah. roughly I, he's still Dude, a big this fan is, but this how is old in is the last this? two weeks last two weeks interesting so, i'll have to check all that the, out. all the rich all the wealthy because they all have their funds and very high you know, well-groomed things in Fidelity and Chase and Bank of America, um, you know, mm. in, in BlackRock, they're all, they all know, they know what's happening and they're all putting their money into Bitcoin, you know? Jeff, um, I buy this wholesale, take this, slap it on your pillow. Removing volatility only comes with diversification. You're absolutely right. And though one instrument might appear more volatile, what does volatility matter to Bitcoin if it's going to end up at a hundred thousand, but you're right, volatility, and what is, why do I care? If your growth is guaranteed, why do I care about volatility? Because growth to me is not guaranteed. Volatility tells, uh, is predictability. And for me, though Bitcoin has a predictable supply, it, for me, it does not have a predictable demand. And, uh, but I can easily look at real estate and there is a fairly predictable demand called a growth curve. And that's just less volatile to me uh, those numbers off the average, but Roger's right. You want to level off the playing field grant. Just take your moving average of take the S and P 500 and just buy that all day. And you have relative low volatility. I, I get that. Jeff, are you a diversified investor or not? I'd love to know that. What about you guys? Are you diversified or not? 
I heard something really cool today, kind of interesting. <laughs> that that's that is like, I had sushi, and let me tell you about my fortune cookie. Whenever we ask him about investing, he's like, guys, uh, you, tell me if you agree with it or not. I I'm heard listening. Grant Cardone say this today, and it was like at the end of his this talk that he was giving, and he one of the things he listed a whole bunch of like financial myth myths myth m y t h s one of the myths was i, I know what he's um, about to say and i love this was it the diversification he says yeah oh, the yeah. richest he's... people in the world did not diversify um steve jobs when he died he owned two companies two stocks apple mm -hmm. and pixar and if you give a bunch of other examples it was kind of it was pretty compelling well what, it's, it was it was warren buffett yeah it was warren buffett and i've heard him talk about this too uh, and Warren Buffett's talked about this. He's basically said, look, you can list 50 stocks, like, you know, and he says, somebody asked him how to invest. And he said, look, go look at 50 different companies. Okay. Then give me your top five. And out of that, pick two. Because the reality of it is only one of those two is going to make it, you know, for 50 years or however long you want to have the money in the market. And he's like, that's why I always stay with Coca-Cola and I continue to put money in because show me a better soft drink product. I'm waiting. And I totally believe in that. And I totally believe whatever you focus on expands. And if you want to diversify, that's fine. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Diversification are for people that don't live and breathe a market or understand something deeply. Uh, diversification is also I agree with that. Also fear-based. Mm -hmm. um, it's worried about... You know, it's, it's, I'd rather get a spread of the market um, than, you know, most people, let's see what Jeff says. Most people are risk averse uh, who like stability. I gotta it's true. That. It's true. Um, it's, it's true. Most people are risk averse. So um, for me, it's like, you have to pick something. You're going to have to pick a horse if you actually want to build wealth over long-term growth investments. Um, and I know who my horses are. They're definitely Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, that's where I'm going to start to move about 80 to 90% of all my investments. And I'm, I'm saying it out loud. I'm saying it in public. Those are the things I think that are going to win. I'm not trying to dabble in Amazon. I'm not trying to dabble in Disney. I'm not trying to take the S&P 500. Those are all propped up by fiat. And over a long enough time, this was a guy, and I, had to I have to look this up, but he said, basically, if you take out the inflation, none of the S&P, like on an average over 100 years, has actually gained value. It basically just stayed with the inflation that we actually have. So that's why if you invest, like you may see more rich than other people, but you're actually just holding your same amount of like economic ability throughout your life as basically other people drop off. So relative to them, you may seem like you're more wealthy, but it's really the only people like Steve Jobs or, you know, Elon Musk who basically just say, I'm going to pick two or three horses and we're going to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This Jeff and I, Jeff, <laughs> I still need to figure out how we can do a long term. Uh, That's Jeff it. and I tried to connect. This guy's my new best friend. Issues. Oh my uh, god! He, for this reason, all my long term investors, real estate, and all my immediate is the laughing otter. Laughing otter is his uh, NFT yeah, project. Is an NFT broadcast. Real yeah. quick, uh, Allison asked a great question. A thought for the future: Does the volatility of Bitcoin reduce to some extent its utility as store value? For me, it does. For Jared, it doesn't. Yeah, um, I, I, it doesn't for me either. I think it's more of a it's more of a long term play. Like volatility only matters for your time frame, you know. Exactly, like, exactly. Uh, like a ninety percent drop in a day is a big deal, but then a, a ninety percent drop over ten years maybe not so much. You don't feel that, I mean, especially in the way that we do math, where everything is. 
based on the percentage Quarterly. of the previous period, it doesn't look like a 90% drop. It just looks like a 3% drop every year. And then mm. most people can live with that. Yeah. And, uh, and Jay, Jay, you hit the thing spot on it. Great. I, sorry if I just cut you no, off. Go, no, like, go ahead. People will say, oh, Bitcoin went from essentially 70,000 down to roughly 15,000. And they'll say, oh, it's failed. And I'm like, okay, so it dropped 80% after having gone up like 2 million percent in the last 10 years. You know, this is just how we prospectively look at things. And because we live, um, oh, bye, Jeff. Um, ben, because we live in these quarterly timeframes, people are really crappy with giving like the props to the actual growth that's happened uh, for companies, yeah. Bitcoin, and just other things. Um, you know, a, your, your team could win the Super Bowl seven times. And then they lose one playoff and everyone's like, oh, your team sucks. It's like, okay, you know, um, so I'm a big fan of not line. redefining things. And I know that as technology progresses, language changes. And, and I, under, I understand that. And maybe we do need a new definition of storehouse of value. But if you just read the fucking definition, volatility does destroy something's utility as a store of value. And, and so I, I don't mind redefining these terms if we call out the current understood definition of these terms is different than future value. It's different than a, whether or not it's a good investment. But volatility has a definition that is understood. Storehouse of value has a definition. Now, based on the definition of store value, money is not a good store of value either. Typically money is defined as storehouse of value, medium of exchange and a, and a standard of measure. But with the fiat system, we have lost because the definition of store of value is an asset that retains its purchasing power in the future and is the function of an asset that can be saved, re retrieved and exchanged at a later time for the same value or better. Hmm. Now, I know that we are believers. I know that Jarrett, you're a believer in crypto. And because you're so confident in the future of that thing, you could easily make the definition of that the storehouse of value. And I, and I agree that maybe that's how we need to evolve the definition. But when I'm talking to the lay person and that lay person is trying to get their web to TradFi head around it, I would be the first to admit with them, this is not a storehouse of value. This is a very good possible future investment. Hands down because I want to preserve language as much as possible in order to make the conversation flow. So when I disagree with those terms, that's the only reason I'm disagreeing is we're playing fast and loose with the definition. And what we're really trying to do is we're trying to soften the haters of Bitcoin because the haters do paint it like it's more volatile than this, it sucks than that. But it's like, no, can we just say it's a good future investment? Because I, th I think it is, not financial advice, but I think it's a good investment, but I do not think it's a store of value. I do not think it's involatile. I think it has a good future, especially if you look out over a long enough timeline. It's on a great trajectory, and I'm buying up. But yeah. I don't know. I, I get Ben, what, what do you got, uh, Jake? It, it's a bad get-rich-quick scheme. I agree with that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nothing's been more true. And... And I think I want to call it, uh, Amina is coming here, says, I heard Michael Saylor's, and I've heard him say this, which is amazing, like this. saying uh, rebalancing is selling the winner to buy the loser. Um, and I think rebalancing, if you do it too often, can be just looking for shiny objects. You really need long-term conviction. 
I've had yeah. long term commitments. Bitcoin's 2017. It hasn't really let me down. Um, and I'm going to buy and hold minimally through 2032 through that halving. Um, and when it's going to probably be over a million dollars, it's going to be ridiculous. Like brains yeah. are going to melt. You know, what I mean, like I, I know what Michael is saying here and I know what we are saying when we say this and we kind of snicker. But also. The winner and the loser is temporary. You buy low and sell high. And if you happen to have something that's low and high, like just as a counterpoint, and I do agree, like. That is a fun new way to look at rebalancing. And I do not believe in the process of rebalancing a portfolio myself. I do not believe in that, except mm -hmm. in extreme situations. So I would agree that rebalancing is bad. But also, I don't want to shame someone who's like made profits and then their long-term hold. Coca-Cola's in the dump. Like right now, I just bought a ton of Fannie Mae. Like, I'm not rebalancing, but I, my, my portfolio did adjust because I sold off something that I was super high on. And I bought right. into something I believe in the long term. So I don't, I don't want to shame anyone who is like taking profits and then doubling down on stuff they believe in. But I, I do believe in, in the spirit of calling out rebalancing. Yeah, that process for, for money managers um, is kind of shady. I would agree with that. But, but uh, man, I, I, gurus have been pissing me off lately. I, that, I, if you can't tell like these like quips and idioms that people pull out. You're like, wait a minute, like the average. And this is what I, what I was thinking about diversification. The only reason I'm a fan of diversification is I accept that the average person listening to this show or any show will not do the homework. Yeah. And I 100%, 100%. believe, I believe everyone should cover their bases, get a few good investments, S and P Vanguard 500, whatever. Get a few good investments that will maybe grow that you can leave a little kitty to your, to your family. I agree with you though, these, these people who have doubled down on one thing or two things, those ponies that run, I do agree that's a better play, but I personally would never play at those without having built my base first. Like to me, it's the guaranteed million dollar millionaire plan. I want to guarantee that I will retire a millionaire and I have a guaranteed plan to do that. It's, it's guaranteed. And it's based on a degree of diversification. Now, what I wake up and do is what Jeff does. I bet on shit like the Laughing Otter or Shido. Where's Victor? <laughs> you know, Victor, I, Victor, Victor doesn't like these episodes because Victor's time horizon is five minutes. So five when I minutes. Say ten years. He like melts his brain. When he posts his charts, if you look, you're like, that's literally I know, it's, like it's within a four seconds, chart. and it went up, and he's like a millionaire. I look. <laughs> He, I, I'm going to do some leverage trade. I'm going to take 10 ball, $10 and put it into some leverage and just see what happens just to learn, like just from like an educational the thing. And I think you gotta, I don't think any lessons are free, even though everyone wants yeah. to tell you they are the best yeah. lessons in life probably cost you money. Um, yeah. we're a little bit over, but I think this was a really good conversation and I yeah. think you're totally right. Grant. I don't expect most people that have exposure to the market in the United States is just through a 401k. Yeah. Um, and they basically created a 401k to get the average person who doesn't have time because they've got six kids, they're coming home, they've got to mow the lawn, then they got to take yeah. all their kids to like soccer, baseball, basketball, volleyball, and wrestling practice. And they're just going to say, you know what, this is what everyone else does. I trust this. Let me do this. I totally get that. So I definitely think that that's like the best way to do it. But I do think if you are going to go, you got to put all your money in a bank. But totally. the thing about those ponies running is maybe you put all your money in Enron. In 2000, that didn't work out. Maybe you put all your money in, in any one of the big companies that everyone said was going to change the world and didn't, right? Yeah. So yeah. your pony has to win. That's the thing. And that's where the higher risk comes from. 
but yeah. with greater risk potentially comes greater reward. Um, and that's definitely the game with crypto that Bitcoin maxis would, would play there. So, yeah. And, and I want to hear the stories like we hear the, look at the successful. They bought fewer stocks. Great. They, 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 they doubled down on one, on one thing. Do you know how many people failed holding on to one thing? And we never tell those stories as well. We just look at the successful and we extrapolate that's why they were successful. And it could be, but it could be a lot of things. And I, I just, I guess what I encourage is critical thinking. I want someone to think critically about their investments. I want them to know the definition of these terms so that they don't skim the next headline, jump on Wall Street bets, think they're smart. Maybe they made 10X that day. The next day, they pushed it all on, they I bet it all on red because I'm super smart. And it's like, no, you got lucky and you're not thinking critically. You know, I really want people to win because they're thinking critically, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think anyone thinks that they're a winner right now in the market. And if you do, <laughs> you need to wait a week. But I do think there were a lot of people in 2021, yeah. that summer, who just thought they were the wolf of all streets. Yes. Not the yes. wolf of Wall Street, of all streets. Because they put a little money in Robinhood. They saw it trickle in a month. Put a little money in Cardano, yes. or however you pronounce it, and it went up. Put a little money in, in Ethereum, and that went up, you know. And, and then they started tweeting, they when sold. friends, when Lambo friends. <laughs> yeah. And now they're all gone and they're all uh, exit liquidity. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. So smart stuff. So shout outs. Uh, I'll do mine real quick, real first. My shout out is to those people who have made bets and have won and lost and still are at it learning, understanding, and playing smarter at every round. The average Joe who knows that they're not a loser if they've diversified or they're not a loser if they focused and lost, but they show up today and tomorrow. Because I will say, this is buying season for me. And though it's low and everyone's feeling a little pinched because they might've made some bad bets, uh, it's buying season for me. So my shout out is for the average Joe who might have won, who might have lost for whatever their strategy. You're not a loser. Step to play, learn something new. And, and keep going with us. That's my shout out. Yeah. Shout out to everybody investing in themselves this year. You know, not, 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 not feeding to the call of the market. Yes. If you have watched any of our episodes, cherry pick oh, by random, yeah. throw a dart and hit any one out of four of the last 16 episodes. And you will know that I think I call bullshit too. Jay says the only thing he invests in is himself. And like every now and again, he sneaks that he owns a parcel of land in St. Kitts. Yeah. He, owns he also probably owns like, he's like, oh, I, I've got a tokenized uh, real estate of the Taj Mahal, but I can't touch it till I'm 60. <laughs> like he's got that type of shit in him, you know? Like, <laughs> Okay, shout out to those who invest in themselves like Jay. Okay, I hear you. What do you got, Jerry? Just, just Jay, just, I'm just a troll. <laughs> Uh, I, I want to give a shout out to Leslie, who's my coworker and, and just maybe starting to sink her, you know, dip some toes into crypto. And it's cool that she hopped on. And I thought her question is super relevant because she's clearly picking up the need for in crypto philanthropy or, you know, how people can use crypto to, to, to do good in the world, um, to kind of looking at maybe a web two solution, which is a DAF and saying, Hey, how does that work? Like, is there something yeah. where we can put crypto into a, into a community pot and then 
use it as the community decides, which is totally the dream of the DAO, right? So um, shout out to Leslie for hopping on. Shout out to anyone else who's new to the to the uh, you know to the channel. And we will be back next Tuesday, three thirty Eastern time, uh, back here wherever you're watching us, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. So follow us there. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great afternoon. Peace.